I'm going to ask a quick favour. If you're listening to this, please hit the subscribe button and the follow button. Like, share, rate, review the podcast. It helps more than you realise. And that is the human love of stories. That's the the joy that we get from hearing a story. And, the, you know, the, the one thing I want the world to recognise is business stories are no different. There is always an opportunity to find that moment where people go, I've just heard something that has rocked my world. I've just heard something that has changed the way I see things that I, for the longest time, taken for granted. But the purpose is like being able to reach down into your soul and pull out this glowing orb that defines who you are and why you exist. That's a little bit harder. So so you've got a stream here where it's the thing that you're really good at, that you can't imagine doing anything else. And then here you've got a separate stream. See if you can guess which film reference is coming up. You've got a separate stream over here, which is about the things that drive you as a human being. The instinctive, buried down deep, tied into your genetics. If you cut the person in half, it'll be written through them like words in a stick of Brighton Rock. But what you've got to do to find the purpose is you've got to cross the streams. That's a Ghostbusters reference. You've got to cross the streams because the purpose has to be both of those things. It's getting your story straight before you start telling the rest of the world your story. You know, one of the one of the things that's frustrating for me when I hear people talking about search engine optimization is until you've figured out the story, you could spend a fortune on SEO, but it's like drawing a treasure map and forgetting to bury the treasure. Yeah, you lead people to that big X on the beach, but when they dig it up, it's just wet sand. And what they actually need is the treasure. So you've got to think about the treasure first and then bring people to it meaningful, memorable and moving. So if it's meaningful, it means it's got to resonate, it's got to feel authentic and true. If it's memorable, there's got to be a hook, there's got to be a point to the story. When someone says, what is the story about? It's got to be about something and that's the bit that you take away. Finally, it's got to be moving. It's got to trigger an emotional response. And what's interesting is, right back to what you were just saying, if you're telling somebody something, it's meaningful, memorable and moving, that's where the people buy the people. I'm going to buy your service because I believe in you, because I'm enthusiastic about what you're bringing to the world. I'm enjoying seeing your enthusiasm for me reflected in your eyes. I can see myself in your eyes thinking, yeah, they get me, they understand me. That's a different kind of a connection. And that is representative of a business that has a purpose beyond financial return. Welcome to the County Business Talks podcast, powered by Picturebook Films. Here, we're going to be talking to entrepreneurs and business owners from across Sussex, delving into the mindsets of what makes them really tick. Welcome to another episode of the County Business Talks podcast. So those that follow me on social media or came to our most recent member meetup will know that we recently went through a process with the brilliant Inside Stories to define our business narrative at County Business Clubs. As I mentioned in my testimonial, it was truly one of the most magical experiences I've, I've had on my entrepreneurial journey and would encourage any business, whether you're 100 years old or just starting out, to speak to my next guest and allow them to help you define your story. So I started this podcast um, because I believe every business owner has a story to tell and I wanted to create a platform for peers to share their stories and inspire those that listen. Therefore, I really could not think of a better way 
to finish off season two of the podcast than with my brilliant guest, Gareth Dimelo. Gareth, <laughs> how are you? Well, I, after that intro, I feel a little bit intimidated. There's an awful lot to live up to. But <laughs> I'm very well, thank you. A little bit wet because we just had some unseasonal rain. But <laughs> other than that, I'm, uh, I'm good. I'm very happy to be here and delighted to be the closer of season two of the podcast. Amazing. Listen, uh, uh, like, like we spoke about, I've got, I've got mentioned it on, on my socials a few times and, and what we went through with you guys with the process was phenomenal. And I think um, I'm just, I know that it's gonna, there's going to be so many great insights taken away from this. So look, look, we're going to jump straight in. Great. As a storyteller, um, let's uh, tell our listeners a little bit about you and your story. Okay, so... Um, how did I get to this point is really a case of a story of two halves. So the first part of my career, probably the first decade, I was a creative in agency world. Um, I worked in a number of different agencies, part of big networks. And this, I started out as a writer because that was the one thing that I enjoyed doing was taking words and playing with them. And even as a kid, I was just fascinated by words. Mm. So it always felt like something around narrative, something around creative writing was going to be my calling. Mm. And I spent about 10 years doing it. And one of the interesting things when you have this burning desire to write is when you start doing it from a marketing perspective, the passion dies a little bit because you're not writing for you. You're writing for someone else. And so... For instance, one of the first roles I had was um, writing point-of-sale stuff, which is the the text that you see dotted yeah. around the supermarkets and high street stores that you go around. And the key I learned pretty quickly in doing that was you've got to write stuff that feels so effortless, people can't even conceive that somebody, somebody somewhere had to sit and write that. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. words whispered in your ear. Which, when you're someone who wants to write for a living, is the exact opposite of why you write. You write (laughs) because you want to share stories with people. You want to tell people things and have them go away and go, wow, that rocked my world. Instead of being this like invisible whisperer going, you can get two for the price of one (laughs) in our freezer aisle. That just felt really anathema to me. So I I was keen to, to... try something a little more challenging. And then I spent seven years um, working in a big agency that specialized in um, employee engagement, recruitment, marketing, internal comms, all of that kind of stuff. And that was a lot more interesting because there it was about giving voice to a business, but in a way that connected with people on an individual level. So whether you were uh, trying to attract people to apply for a job or whether you were rolling out a brand evolution within a large conglomerate, everything had to feel like it was deeply personal and connected between the business and the individual within the organization. So that was a real different side of writing for me. But towards the end of that first decade, I found that I was spending more and more time working directly with clients, helping them figure out what they should be talking about, yeah. rather than me just sitting there listening to them and going, right, okay, I can write that for you. Yeah, yeah. And so that was when I realized that there was there was another side to what I was able to do or what I wanted to do, which was less about writing the end product and more around teasing out the story. Mm. So when I made my next move, I moved into a more strategic role, and I'd never considered myself a strategist. To me, strategy always suggested boffins, like people who are good at crunching data and 
putting in reports and that wasn't what I wanted to do but yeah. what I realized as I moved into a strategic role in another agency was to me the strategy was bridging the gap between the dense business detail and the stuff that the creatives needed to be able to create something spectacular yeah. because they could look at the business report and go well this is not it's not ticking my boxes <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So what I had to do was effectively pan for gold. I had to take all this detail and go, well, I think there's something interesting here. I think there's something we can work with here. Yeah. And after doing that, again, in, in a couple of agencies, I reached, let's just call it a landmark birthday. <laughs> I won't say which. <laughs> and I decided that now was the time for me to take all of those skills that I got, the the crafting the story, but then also teasing out the story and put that into one bundle. And that was what I was going to be as a as an entrepreneur, as a business yeah. startup. That was what I wanted to do. Um, and so I, just to clarify that, I had a really simple process where I made two lists. I made a list of stuff that I was good at, which, yeah. you know, I was pleased to see it was quite a long list. Yeah. <laughs> and then I made a list of things that I enjoyed doing, and that was less long <laughs> and so I just looked for the things that made both lists and out of that came the shape of what I was going to do and so for okay. the first I'd say the first three years of starting out on my own it was a case of um, leveraging contacts and uh, people that I've worked with in the past who generally came to me saying we remember working with you and we enjoyed it and can you come in and support on a mm. freelance basis or as a consultant on a project or a pitch or whatever but what I didn't have was any kind of engine to drive what I was doing forwards. And that was when um, I happened to connect with Terry. Terry and I had been in each other's orbit for a good few years because we bo we'd both spent a lot of time in the events industry. Yeah, yeah. And we, face to face, just hit it off and yeah. just seemed to see the world in very similar terms. We both big movie nerds and so <laughs> a lot of our um, conversational shorthand is movie references which is actually a really telling sign for me that you've met a kindred spirit because what it enables you to do is cut straight to the feeling yeah. without having to set up a bunch of complicated context you go well it's like this scene in this film and someone goes I know exactly what you mean by that so, so that was really powerful for us and you know what we did was because Terry's obviously based down here in Brighton and is very sort of well like you well connected to the business community and there's a real thriving hub of startups and entrepreneurs and SMEs yeah. that I think if I'm honest are constantly inundated with marketing services businesses but I think are more broadly underserved in terms of insight in terms of direction yeah. there's a lot of people who can do stuff for you and do it very well yeah. but it feels like there was a gap in terms of exactly what I was talking about earlier yeah. finding that bridge between what you know fundamentally about how your business operates and turning that into something that flicks people's pilot light on that's yeah. the bit that was missing so we created inside stories and I think the business is just coming up to three years old Wow, mate! Is that and so I'm, I'm keen just with, with that. Like, when, even though it's nearly a decade in market, when when you got into that industry and 
was there from a young age did you think about running your own business was that a goal or was it oh, this is what I enjoy doing so I'm involved in that and then but from them experiences then you've then actually like you said with the list yeah. and creating that was that the point where you went I'm going to do this on my own or um, I'll be completely honest I I think I was probably quite afraid of going out on my own I never mm. felt like that was my calling I just knew what I liked doing and I wanted mm. to be in a place where I could do it but one of the things that happens, particularly in a big agency, is there's a a freedom and a restriction that happens where you're trusted more and more to take on the workload. You're trusted to have the insights and perspectives that are what the client needs. Mm. But you're still within an infrastructure that might second guess or might say, well, we don't do it that way. Or, well, we're more comfortable with our established way of doing things and that can feel quite restrictive and I just reached a point where I finally was able to reflect on what I was able to do and think people might pay me for this I mean people had already been paying me in the job but what I meant was I'd finally reached a point of self-validation where I believed that I was as good as I felt I was. You know, you have that instinct and you get feedback from people. Clients will say, we like working with you or your colleagues will, you know, nominate you for an internal award or you get nice feedback at your annual appraisal. But that just feels like it's it's sort of um, transactional. It's just the stuff that you do because it's, it's polite part and of, it's yeah, yeah. part of how businesses work. And, you know, I grew up, my dad was um, self-employed pretty much my whole life. When I was a child, he was actually studying. He went to university as a, as a mature student because he'd left school at 16. And as soon as he'd done with his degrees, he'd set himself up as a as an architect and he had an okay. architectural business. But it was only ever really him and maybe one or two of the people. It was never um, a desire to grow a vast empire yeah, sure. he just wanted to answer to no one but himself and his clients that he was servicing yeah. so in the back of my mind running a business should feel like that it should feel like you get to determine how much time you want to spend on yeah. things and balance it with the other things that you wanted to do and I was getting to a point as well where my working life was you know five long days in the office and I, I do mean a long day yeah but also three and a half hours a day uh, round-trip commuting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and that, yeah. that was wearing me out, and I, yeah. I just felt like there's got to be another way. And in my very first job, when I first moved to London, um, I'd been in a job. I was a junior copywriter, and I'd been in the job for about four weeks, and I was working with a designer who's in as a freelancer, and she turned to me, she went, oh, you should be a freelancer. You know you, you know how to do this. You, you could be making X hundred pounds a day as a freelance writer. And I, whilst I loved what she was saying, I honestly didn't believe it because I thought, I haven't done the hard yards. I haven't earned the right yeah, yeah, yeah. to charge that kind of money. And after that, I kind of put it to the back of my mind for 20 years. Yeah. And it was only when I reached that landmark birthday and I was like, what, what do I want to do with the next 20 years? <laughs> my brain said, oh, remember that thing. I think you could probably charge people now. <laughs> yeah. I think they'd be willing to pay you. And you've got enough of a reputation. You've got enough goodwill behind you and the work that you've done and the relationships that you've forged across 
you know several subsets of the and market. and the experience that yeah, you get over, of course. That, over that period of time because like you say you, you you probably with your abilities and the way that it, you know even just doing a process with the way that you just you can tease that story out and it but you know that skill set maybe has always been because there's obviously a passion for for that which you love so could have been but with the experience that you've picked up along the way to be able to then go right like you said it's that validation that self-belief that you go actually i know all of these things and i've got all this to back it up with as well and the interesting thing is you're absolutely right because the thing that i'm doing now is i think exactly what a storyteller does like it's very hard to be a storyteller Mm. when you're 23 years old because you don't have enough frame of reference to be able to You know, it's kind of like going into a sweet shop and seeing a thousand jars and going, well, I'm going to have some of those and some of those. And you've got that frame of reference to pick from. And I I think that's one of the things that, you know, the the cynical part of me sometimes doubts when I see people proudly announcing that they're a consultant and they've only been out in the workplace for a couple (laughs) of years. And I just think one of the things that people need from experts is expertise (laughs) and that's got to come from somewhere and it's there's no shortcut to it and the thing that makes our process and makes what we do so enjoyable to me is yeah there's a a core repository of stories and anecdotes and things that I'll use um, analogies and metaphors that I can call upon Mm. to help piece the process together but at any one time, we could be having a conversation about anything in any industry sector, but my brain is constantly running through a filing cabinet going, oh, we've got a little anecdote here that we can throw in. And I surprise myself going, oh, yeah, I forgot that was in there, but it's totally apropos to what we're talking about. Yeah. And so I think that's my infectious enthusiasm. That's when my passion gets to come out. Yeah. And I think it's something that in the feedback, and I know – um, you and your colleagues said this, having worked with us, and I'm not trying to plug what we do here, but I think that's one of the things that was probably different for you was you can't fake passion. I've, al- I've always said there are two things you can't make someone do. You can't make them think yeah. and you can't make them care. If they don't naturally have an inquisitive mind, if they're not constantly trying to find alternative routes to a solution, you can't make them do it. They're happy, they'll process things, they'll go through the motions, and there are all sorts of things in life where that's a really valuable approach and a valuable skill set. But there are other things where you have to be willing to go around the houses and try a bunch of solutions in search of the right solution. Mm but also you can't make people care. So, you know, um, one of the things I used to find frustrating when I worked in recruitment marketing was the number of um, job specifications we get from clients when they were recruiting. They'd say, we want someone passionate. And I'm like, you, you can't ask for that because you can't evidence passion until you're doing the thing you're passionate about. Uh, so consequently, it's a word that is it loses all meaning yeah. because it's just that well we've got to say be passionate no one's going to come in and go yep totally not passionate about this <laughs> so so it stops meaning anything yeah, and I think yeah. what's more important is providing a platform where people's passion comes to the fore mm. and that's that's my joy I know I'm doing something I'm genuinely passionate about so I don't ever have to feel like I'm phoning in I don't ever have to um, 
pretend to be interested yeah, yeah, yeah. in what someone's telling me because the very nature of what I'm doing is I'm listening for things that make the head stand up on my arm, for things that get me going, oh, I just heard something that feels like a breakthrough. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you you just, you can't fake like, it. Like, but where, where, where do you think that, that, where does that passion for like that, that, you know, finding that story t- and, and the, the whole storytelling thing, like you said, you obviously you're, yours and Terry's linked with films and stuff like that. It was, but from a young age, have you always had this sort of fascination with that? Is that where? Yeah, and I have, and it's funny. It, I, I honestly can't attribute it to a point of origin. Yeah. Like I can't say there was the definitive moment where this thing happened and the penny dropped. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But when I think about what that feeling feels like, I go to a film like that. I'll do a film, a film like Sixth Sense. So spoiler warning, if anyone hasn't seen Sixth Sense, (laughs) you've had 23 years to do it. So I don't feel guilty by spoiling the ending and saying that the lead actor is playing a dead person. But when you're in the movies and you're watching a film like that and that penny, actually it's a, wedding ring that drops not yeah. penny but it drops and the audience takes a collective intake of breath as they suddenly realize they've been enjoying one story and suddenly it's been revealed that there was a whole other story going on yeah. and their brain is suddenly hungry to replay everything it's seen and go hang on how did i not notice that how did that work and that is the human love of stories. That's yeah. the the joy that we get from hearing a story. And the you know, the the one thing I want the world to recognise is business stories are no different. There is always an opportunity to find that moment where people go, I've just heard something that has rocked my world. I've just heard something that has changed the way I see things that I for the longest time taken for granted. Yeah. That that was always the exciting opportunity. As a kid I loved telling stories. You know, my parents would say I was just a little renter gob and I was. <laughs> but it wasn't because I wanted attention. It was because the thing that gave me most joy was telling stories. And I come from a <laughs> I come from a long line of storytellers. My mum is a a born storyteller. I've been on she retired, I'm gonna say 16 years, actually more than 16 years ago because she retired early, she was a teacher and I've been on her for her entire retirement to sit down and write a book and I said I don't care what it's about, just sit down and write a book because it will be great because she just loves telling stories and you know her friends, it was a running joke in the village we grew up in, her friends used to say to her is this going to be a Judith story because if it is we best go to the bar now because this <laughs> might be a while and my grandpa, so my mum's dad was also a storyteller and two things about my grandpa that I, I just love to think about, one is that um, his friends always said of him he never had a hot meal because when the waiters came to take the plate away, he hadn't touched his dinner because he'd been too busy. Because he was so passionate about talking and sharing stories and anecdotes and things. Everyone else was eating and listening. And then he'd look down and he'd complain his food was cold. It wasn't. He just, he'd just forgotten to eat it. So I love that about him. And actually, towards the end of his life, when he was in a, a care home, and he started to get... Um, I honestly don't know whether it was Alzheimer's or just a more general form of dementia. But he... 
it manifested in a loss of ability to formulate new memories. So from one minute to the next, he would forget that he'd just told you something. And it was it was really kind of heartbreaking to see because yeah, sure. you could almost hear the wheels spinning as he was trying to connect the experiences he was having and lay them down as memories and it wasn't working. But what he could do was relay with astonishing detail things that had happened to him 80 years previously. Wow. And the problem was he'd get caught in a feedback loop where he'd tell you this incredibly detailed, endearing story about what it was like when he was 12 years old and there was a house that he could see from the window of his care home where one of his school friends had grown up and he lived with his grandmother and she owned a sweet shop. And he'd tell us this story about when they go in there and they play cards and they do it after school and so on. And then as soon as he'd finished, he'd see the win- the house out of the window again and it would trigger the memory and he'd tell the story again. He just couldn't remember that he'd just told it. And, of course, we, as his oh, audience, yeah. had to not try and finish the story for him and go, yeah, you told us that. And so that was my grandpa, like, his entire life he was a storyteller. Wow. wow. And it's fascinating, isn't it? Like, without, I say without knowing, but sort of knowing that growing up from that, and that's now what you do for a living. And the apple didn't fall, fall far, far from, from the tree. tree. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> my mum would agree with yeah. that. <laughs> I love that. I want to, as I've mentioned, obviously, in the, even in the intro and like the process that we went with you guys and we, we spoke about, um, you know, Simon Sinek and, mm-hmm. and that, and which a lot of people know about Start With Why and that. But I think what, what I found fascinating about the whole process, certainly for me, is that as much as people understand maybe the golden circle, don't really get how to find a why. And I think for every single business, defining that narrative has got to like you've got to find what that why is and how you get there but so talk to me a little bit about you know the importance uh, i guess uh, of, a, of an entrepreneurial business owners finding that why and, and how best to it's it's so fascinating because you know you're absolutely right everyone's seen the cynic ted talk yeah. um a lot of them have read cynic's book about yeah. start with the why that's all good i think the epiphany that i had was this sudden realization that his golden circle thing is like a mic drop moment. He's like, I'm just going to blow your minds with a new formula for thinking about marketing and storytelling and leadership. Because if you remember, the start with why was actually about trying to decode iconic leadership. It wasn't really a business or marketing presentation. It was about iconic leadership. He just connected brands to people like Martin Luther King and Nelson Mandela Mm. and made a powerful point with that but what he never did was said if you're a business here's how to do it Mm. he just said I've codified the world in a different way blow your minds off you go what businesses have done is they've embraced that mentality and as you say Mm. quite rightly there's no instruction manual for doing that and so Everybody, and I hear it all the time, every time we meet people at networking events, every time we're introduced to clients or prospects, we mention the wine like, yeah, Simon Sinek, yeah, seen that, got that. I know every marketing agency worth their salt is telling their clients, we need a why, you need that purpose, 
you know, big businesses are talking about being purpose-driven organizations. It's super important. What they do from an HR perspective is they try to align purposes, you know, visionary direction of the business to purpose in terms of how that manifests as organizational values. So the people in the business go, okay, we're all pulling in the same direction. That's all good. But the purpose is like being able to reach down into your soul and pull out this glowing orb that defines who you are and why you exist. That's a little bit harder. Because I think part of it is I, I'd love to work with some clients in the U.S. and just see how differently they come at this. Because my theory has always been, particularly in the U.K., we're not as comfortable digging deep. We're not as comfortable bearing our soul for the world to judge us. So when an exercise comes along that says, find your purpose, go down there and see what you come up with, we're, we're comfortable swimming in the shallow water. We're like, actually, <laughs> I, I don't want to go too deep. I, I, I'm going to say this. And what then happens is there's a fear of, this is going to continue a water swimming analogy. <laughs> it's just because I'm a swimmer. I was in the pool this morning thinking about our conversation and swimming is, is quite a useful metaphor. <laughs> but I'm going to swim a little bit further away from the shore. I'm going to go into the deep water and and do that. But we're afraid, right? So we need to be tethered to something that feels safe. So in a business context, when an entrepreneur establishes a business, they know that they're following their heart, right? You can't start a business unless you fundamentally believe in that thing that you do. As a film reference, as a Tom Hanks film. (laughs) Um, But that thing you do only means something to you. So the challenge that you've got then as your business grows and you hire new people and you get a marketing manager in and then you start thinking about how you're going to communicate with the wider world or maybe you're pitching to an investor or an angel who's going to come in and give you an influx of money to help you realize your dream. They don't share your purpose. They don't share your vision. And so what you do is instead of opening up and going, I want to invite you into this way that I see the world, what we tend to do is we we couch it in very safe terms. So we don't stray far from the beach in terms of we don't go too far away from talking about what the business is. Yeah. So people will go, well, I've got a purpose. You know, I create software that does X, Y, Z because I'm passionate about this. And that's not really why. No. That's trying to come up with almost a proposition statement for the business that feels nice. That's not the same thing. And I think a lot of people approach it as either a declarative statement about themselves and what motivates them, which is, again, something different, or they're just trying to come up with a slogan for their business. And they think they can kill two birds with one stone. If they come up with a slogan, they can go, that's our purpose. And it's like, that's not. That's yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think this is where it gets complicated as well. A lot of people who feel that entrepreneurial urge to start a business are coming from a background where the thing that their business is about is their field of expertise. Mm. It's the thing that they do. They've dedicated their life to it. They know it better than pretty much anyone I get that. But they very rarely, certainly in my experience, they very rarely had much time working directly with marketing, branding, design, digital yeah. people. So 
Consequently, they're in a position where they're needing these services, but they don't know how to evaluate good from bad. They don't know how to validate or even judge what they're being shown. They go, well, I don't know, but you're the expert, so I'm going to trust that. And so consequently, they're not, they're not driving the development of those marketing materials with their purpose. They're going, well, I've told you what my purpose was. It's on the it's on the shelf now because I've, <laughs> I've, I've bared my soul for two minutes. So now I just expect you to do something with it. And I think the whole point of this broader conversation about why is you've, you've got to get in there. You've got to get a little bit dirty. You've got to get personal. You've got to dig a little bit deeper. And what you've got to do is find a next. So you've got a stream here where it's the thing that you're really good at that you can't imagine doing anything else. Yeah. And then here you've got a separate stream. See if you can guess which film <laughs> reference is coming up. You've got a separate stream over here, which is about the things that drive you as a human being. The instinctive, buried down deep, tied into your genetics. If you cut the person in half, it'll be written through them like words in a stick of Brighton Rock. Yeah. The word being Brighton, obviously. Um, <laughs> But what you've got to do to find the purpose is you've got to cross the streams. That's a Ghostbusters reference. <laughs> you've got to cross the streams because the purpose has to be both of those things. So, for instance, one of the things that I see really often that I feel bad because I, I feel like, you know, if if I was running a charity rather than a business, I'd just be running around. There'd be a thousand people that I could help every day because I see how much assistance people need with this. Yeah, yeah. Sounds really arrogant. I don't mean it like that. But what happens when people are asked to articulate their why or their purpose, what they often do is they just make a personal statement. So I'm doing this for my kids or I'm doing this because I want a better life. And the thing is, that's entirely true. But that's your motivation, but it's not your purpose. Yeah. So you need your motivation. The thing that drives you, the thing that you're doing this for is absolutely valid. It's just not a why. Yeah. And because if you imagine somebody said you're evaluating three suppliers and you go right tell me your why and one of them goes well I'm doing this because I want a better life for my kids I'd be like okay next because what yeah. matters to you doesn't matter to me we're all ego driven monsters at the end of the day we're all passionate about what we're doing and what other people are doing is of less consequence and yeah. so consequently you've got to find and there is a way of doing it where you can connect the personal driver to the business driver in a way that when you're in front of somebody else they go I want to come on that journey with you. You're yeah. speaking my language. Because there's so much to do with that. I think previously, you tell me if you've seen a shift maybe since lockdown or even prior to that or whatever, but the, 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 your core values as a person mm. and your core values as a business mm -hmm. should be aligned. Because mm -hmm. if they're, they're not, like you said, like, because ultimately, whereas before maybe people's mindsets were, okay, that's my work and that's my life and that's it. When you're an entrepreneur, business owner, they almost become one. So, But then you actually realise, well, that actually has an impact on that. It does. So I need to, if I'm not aligned with who I am as a person and what I'm trying to do and that doesn't relate to my business, then the streams, if they don't cross over, there's got to, uh, but have you said, do you think that there's been a change, like a shift in people's mindset around that because, because things have merged ultimately from we've had to work from home so mm. people's personal lives are you know you're on zoom and a kid walks in or something like that so you know in personal lives have sort of 
been intertwined. So has that been a li- easier for people to be able to go, okay, there is that crossover? Or I think it's a really, it's a really smart question. I think there's a few things to unpack in it. I think one of them, absolutely, you know, I used to hate that phrase. It's not personal; it's just business because they're one and the same thing. And particularly if it's your business, it's all on you. Yeah. So that excuse or explanation for things never flies. Godfather, yeah. It's not personal, it's just business. I honestly don't know where that one came from, but you might have got me. I might. Come on. I think it's it's something that's probably featured in quite a few films because it's become something of a mantra, so I'm going to give you Godfather. (laughs) It might even appear in Secret My Success. Um, But the, the fun thing is, I think there has been a... I think it's less about personal and more about humanizing. Hmm. That whole, you know, working from your spare bedroom or working from your dining table, um, particularly in bigger organizations, seeing inside your colleagues' home, deformalizing the process of collaboration is what's happened over the last couple of years in COVID. And I think that means we all feel more comfortable with our colleagues, with our clients, with our prospects, because we've been invited in we've seen behind the curtain and i think that's just a good thing for everybody in terms of the the bigger part of your question which was have i seen a shift during covid i'll give the politicians answer which is yes and no so yes in that the businesses that understood what their purpose was have used that to navigate their way through unprecedented period of change Mm -hmm. The businesses that don't have struggled or have disappeared off the radar. And I wrote a thing about a year ago, inspired by something that I'd seen Dave Trott talk about, which I thought was really interesting. Mm. Um, And he was talking about the businesses that had somehow managed to thrive during lockdown and the whole extended COVID-19 experience. Um, Experience. And he, he, he gave a great example of gyms. So he talked about two types of gym. There were the gyms that think of themselves as a physical place where people go to exercise. They really struggled through COVID because they weren't allowed to open. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them went under. And then there were other gyms or, or fitness brands more broadly that started creating exercise programs to do at home. And I don't mean like Peloton. I mean, literally, if you're in a one-bedroom flat, here's something that you can do, and you don't have two grand plus a (laughs) £50 a month subscription to stump up. This is just something you can do at home. Things that you can do in the park, things that you can do while you're out and about. And what he said was, they see the world differently. The gyms that think of themselves as... The gym is a destination. It's a place where you go to do exercise. Mm. So when we're in lockdown, we simply cease to exist. The brands over here were the ones that recognized that the gym is not a place. It's a state of mind. It's a motivation. It's an encouragement. It's a you got this, you can do this. It's that, you know, Nike purpose of if you've got a body, you can be an athlete. It's anyone can do it anytime, anywhere. Those gyms were the ones that, or the brands that survived and flourished through lockdown because they realized that their purpose was not to be a temple of exercise. It was to be 
a religion of exercise. That's yeah. my analogy. Um, yeah, a religion of exercise that. where it's a mindset. And so what happened was people bought into the mindset of those brands during uh, lockdown. And once the gyms opened again, those are the brands that helped them get through. Those mm. were the brands that were there for them that said, we appreciate that this is unprecedented and none of us have experienced this before, but we're going to figure out a way together. So the purpose of those businesses was bigger and more abstract than we're a gym. So we're a room that has exercise equipment in it. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Because like, like you said, it's such a great way of, I guess, for people listening and stuff like that to try and bring it back to that why and what what we're because it is there, there must be so many people that you you work with and you speak to like you said you go into networking events and someone will give you an answer of what their business does as opposed to why yeah they'll say i've got a why and they'll say okay what is it and they've got a what and i have to <laughs> it's, it's really hard because nobody likes bad feedback. So, yeah, you know, yeah. one of the things I learned early on in my career was give people a feedback sandwich. So give them something positive, put something they can learn from in the middle, and then finish it off with something positive again. So that's great. That sounds like a really interesting business. I'm not convinced that's really a why, uh, but you've really got a clear sense of passion and enthusiasm about what you do. I think if you, if you dress it in those terms, people don't feel too bad about it. But... The challenge is always, I also, I don't like feeling like I'm plugging my business. We don't do marketing. We don't do advertising. We don't do paid for SEO because I don't believe that that is a realistic manifestation of what I'm out there. So what I'm saying on this conversation today, if I then turned around and just tried to blanket email people or you know, spam people on my LinkedIn connections through the DM function, I'm undermining everything I've said about the power of stories to forge meaningful connection Mm. and to let people understand what it is they're getting when they buy it, not when they buy you, but when they buy into you, is when they believe that you're the person that can help them with whatever your business challenge is. Mm. So I don't want to do that. And so consequently... I'm always conscious that when someone tells me why that sounds like a what, I don't want to pick it apart because then it feels like I'm like, what you need is the inside stories process. We can help you find your why because that feels tacky to me. So I, I don't want to do that. But I am. I do also feel that anytime someone's talking to me, I at least owe them authenticity in my response so so what i'll often try and do is um is just give them a pointer or suggest something else that i think is also seemingly interesting about them that they might have dropped into the conversation funnily enough i'm thinking the first time you and i met was at an event at blanche house which is a lovely business lovely business give them a shout out because they're great but we were at an event there and there was a speaker Who'd been? I won't say who, because again, I yeah. I also don't like naming and shaming or, or picking people apart. But there was a speaker who'd been invited to the event that we were at, and when he got up and started talking, I thought this is going to be really amazing because it's it's pressing all my buttons. It was about a subject that I enjoy. Again, I'm giving no clues. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm anonymizing, yeah. <laughs> and I was waiting for the connection. The connection between the personal story of 
this person's career to the business story where the insight, the epiphany, the road to Damascus bright light that said, this thing that I'm passionate about as a person is also the thing I can be passionate about in my business. And I was just waiting for the two to be fused together and they never were. And the following day, I just took the opportunity. Again, not plugging, I didn't hand out a business. It was just a, I thought there was a really interesting missed opportunity there to talk about this thing and connect it to this thing. And I was just very careful to make it look like I wasn't touting for business. I was going, I listened to you and I wanted more. I wanted you to tell me a story, but you didn't. You introduced two themes and then didn't weave them together. And I think that's when I, that was a, a powerful reminder to me of, what it is that we're doing because you know we we often struggle we get lumped in with marketing companies or digital agencies and we're neither of those things really Uh, you know we've started talking about what we do is pre-marketing because it's getting your story straight before you start telling the rest of the world your story you know one of the one of the things that's frustrating for me when i hear people talking about search engine optimization is until you've figured out the story you could spend a fortune on SEO, but it's like drawing a treasure map and forgetting to bury the treasure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you lead people to that big X on the beach, but when they dig it up, it's just <laughs> wet sand. And what they actually need is the treasure. So you've got to think about the treasure first and then bring people to it. It's a, it's a, gra- it's a great way to describe it. So I'll, I'll mention, I think, again, Martis de Mo was saying... Everybody, especially like no matter what, from from my personal point of view, my experience, no matter what my next venture becomes or whatever the, the, another business you get involved in, without a shadow of that, this the process has got to be where we start because, like you said, it it for us like we're two years old, nearly County Business Hall, about officially launched last November, but. I feel like we're starting the business now. Mm-hmm. That's that's uh, and I think Lee, my business partner, who had the idea before I even got involved, and you know, all of us as a team come together, and you've, we've almost and we've spoke about it in the meetings since that feel like we're actually starting the business again. Mm-hmm. And although ultimately the the concept is the same, that what we're doing is exactly the same, exactly, and what and what you said in the process, I remember is that. Everything what we will come back to you with is all going to come from you. So, it, and it, which it did. Now, everything that you gave was, oh yeah, we did say that, and we yeah. did, but just put it in a way so we're able to tell the story. And it was that's what I mean, like mind blowing in that sense. And like from my point of view, and from and from like I said, I don't I'm going on as a sort of a massive self, but you haven't got to do that because that's what I can <laughs> do for you. But because it, but it was, it was. And I think any business has got to. Look at that, and when even when even if you are a hundred years old, because how you communicate that message to people, like that I are a hundred years old, and we've been doing the same thing, and we've been a successful business for whatever reason. But if they could still look at that process and how yeah. they communicate their message of what they're doing, there's a there's something so powerful in it. That's where I think, I, I think the you make that point about a business being a hundred years old as well. I think it's really important to stress that. If you are thinking about your story as a business, age doesn't come into it in terms of the age of the business. Mm. Um, Because what often happens is 
again, talking about entrepreneurs and, and startups especially, is the, the courage and enthusiasm and blind belief in what you're doing that gives you the strength to make that leap in the first place mm. is it's like you're running on adrenaline for the first 18 months and you're just going just run forwards <laughs> and you know hopefully the snipers won't get us and we'll, we'll make it to the first finish line and we'll look back and we go well we we rode out our first 18 months brilliant we're still here where do we go now and because of that people don't ever want to sit down and think strategically what story are we going to tell the world how are we going to build it it's what do we need at each point so we need some investment here we need some facilities here we might need an office or maybe we don't need an office we might need a telecom solution we need some IT services we need some accountancy it's all practical decisions about stuff that you need to make a business happen before you know it you could be 10 years into running a business, but you've never sat down and consolidated the vision because yeah. you're busy doing the do, and that's fine. The great news is it doesn't matter how far down the road. If your business is successful, if you've got income coming in and there's more income coming in than there is expenses going out, yeah. then you're doing something right. This is simply about saying at any point, if you feel that you could do more, if you could grow more effectively, if you could align your people better, if you could create a completely separate offshoot that needs to have some thematic consistency with the core business but goes in a completely different direction, the story is the key, is the answer to how you go about doing that. So you can be a business that's 20 years old you go, do you know what, we're, we're thinking of doing this thing over here that we've never done before, but instinctively it feels right. The storytelling process and ultimately the purpose of the business is a way that you go, does this feel right? Does it feel appropriate? Does it feel relevant to the business that we're building and the world that we want to create? And if the answer is yes, then you have all of the belief you need to pursue that opportunity. So it's mm -hmm. a really it's a really powerful tool for sense checking where you are and where you're going. I think I, I use a, a picture sometimes in presentations. It's this great photo of, um, you know, one of those 1940s-style American Dodge trucks with a very rounded sort of almost Art Deco yeah, yeah. front. It's one of those that's rusting into the ground, but there's an enormous tree that's grown up through the middle of it and out the sunroof. And I think that's a powerful visual metaphor for how a lot of business grows it doesn't grow because somebody plants a seed and clears the ground and, you know, puts the baby bio on it and waters it regularly and makes sure it's directed to the sun. Yeah. Businesses just grow because they grow, because they're doing good work and people like it and people keep coming back. But without that stuff in place, you grow despite the obstacles. Yeah. So you end up becoming a tree, but you've got you know, the best part of a truck wrapped around the trunk <laughs> because you just had to grow despite all of those things. And this is about saying at any point there is a way of clearing that stuff out and going, well, the next phase of our growth is going to be more aligned, is going to be more focused, is going to be more directed. Yeah. So at any point where you're ready to take the business to its next level of maturity, what whatever that is, you know, that mm. could be going from baby to toddler, toddler to... Um, uh, five-year-old and and so on oh, yeah. whatever stage of your evolution you're at the story is a way of going how do we honor how we got to this point 
and how do we take the learnings from the stuff we've done already to give us absolute laser precision focus going forwards I love and I I think so for me as well like that that point that point in the in the the business journey whatever that looks like one thing we I talk about a lot is culture mm-hmm. within the company so for me looking at it, getting that story that narrative right whatever part of the journey you're at, it's got to lend itself to it's got to be the heartbeat of the culture surely that it, your purpose and story it does it creates the a strong culture so but I mean you must that when you go into when you go into businesses is, is there have maybe got a bad culture can is there stuff that you if you've worked with companies like that, are there any traits that you noticed for w- w- within those companies? Again, the, I, I love all of these questions because there's multiple answer yeah, yeah, streams yeah. that we can take. There's a there's a couple of things. You know, I mentioned earlier I spent a good few years working with a business that specialised in organisational culture, employer branding, we called it, um, recruitment, marketing, and all of that stuff. And one of the challenges with culture in bigger businesses is it's often set by external consultants who come in to work with the business to shape it and they they do their work. But again, that same tentativeness that I talked about earlier, that fear of going too far from the beach, going too off-piste, mm. mixing my sporting metaphors now, <laughs> but that, that, that inherent fear of going too far off the beaten track means that people tend to stay in very safe language. And what you often see, you know, you could pick, let's say you picked 100 big businesses at random mm. and you asked to see what their organizational values are. I am convinced that a good 60 to 70% of them would almost be identical words because yeah. what ultimately happens is everything gets homogenized as it goes through the process. The bigger the business, the greater the number of voices. And in order to find any kind of consensus everything gets the edges shaped off the interesting thing about small businesses the interesting thing about entrepreneurs and startups SMEs is there's a willingness to be a little more personal to be a little more daring but exactly like you said and like I was saying earlier about all of the things that aren't done when a business is established you know, if you're two people, like Terry and I have never had a conversation about what our organizational culture is, because it just does. Yeah, yeah. We know each other, we know who we are, and we know what we like, so we just do that. Yeah. But if, in five years' time, we had a team of 50 people, what we would need to do is try and codify the things that we believe in, mm-hmm. the way we like to work in a set of organizational values that don't become like a skull cap that goes on every person that joins the business. This isn't trying to inculcate people into yeah, how yeah, we yeah. see the world, but it says the this is how we behave because we believe this is the right way to behave for this kind of a business. And if that gels with you, if that works, you're going to be really happy here. And if you don't, then that's okay too because you can self-select out of the process. And then when you're in the organization, you can constantly sense check does this still match and you can also and this is next level confidence you can also manage up you can hold senior managers accountable to the organizational values if you don't feel they're living the brand but that's much more an issue for a larger organization i think 
the biggest challenge for SMEs and entrepreneurs is, is there a requirement to codify our organizational values if we're just three or four people? I argue that absolutely there is, mm. but it's not something that necessarily requires three weeks of workshop and research just to end up with the same safe words as everyone else. I think it's something that can naturally fall out of the storytelling process because we look at, I think it's less about values, which are things that look nice when they're printed on a poster and hung up in the lobby. (laughs) But behaviours say this is the way we work. This is the way we like to do things. And it's all rooted, again, going back to that purpose. The behaviours are rooted in the why. We see the world this way. We believe in this. Therefore, we'll do things like that, but we won't do them like that. And then that way, again, as you grow, as you bring people on board, as you go up in front of investors who are going, you know, they're looking for, is the business going to make money, obviously? Mm -hmm. But beyond that, they're going, do I trust the person I'm listening to? Do I believe in them? Am I going to enjoy spending time with them every few months or or is that going to be really difficult and i think having codified your behaviors as value equivalents it's a way that they can go i i know what i'm buying into here i know the kind of person i'm going to be working with and i think that's a really useful thing for them because people still buy people of course they do it's we're, we're all people businesses it doesn't matter the nature of your business, it doesn't matter what product or service you sell or create, people buy people. Mm. And the interesting thing is, again, this goes back to the root of why storytelling is the most effective form of communication as far as I'm concerned. You know, my mantra that I came up with when we first founded the business, I believed that in order to make storytelling land rather than it just be a synonym for content, which it isn't, um, I felt I needed to own story. I needed to have something that I could say, this is how I think of story. And what I came up with was meaningful, memorable, and moving. And you remember the diagram I showed you. I connected meaningful, memorable, and moving to scientific studies that have been conducted about how the brain responds when it hears a story. Because people struggle to define what a story is. They can tell you lots of things that a story isn't, Mm -hmm. but it's really hard to say what it is. My point is it's less about the definition and more about just creating three criteria for something that makes it a story. Meaningful, memorable, and moving. So if it's meaningful, it means it's got to resonate. It's got to feel authentic and true. If it's memorable, there's got to be a hook. There's got to be a point to the story. When someone says, what is the story about? It's got to be about something, and that's the bit that you take away. And finally, it's got to be moving. It's got to trigger an emotional response. And what's interesting is, right back to what you were just saying, if you're telling somebody something, it's meaningful, memorable, and moving, that's where the people buy the people. And then what they do is they go, well, now I'll look at the spreadsheet. I'll look at the returns. I'll look at the, I'll look at the costs. I'll look at the profits. Because they've already made an emotional decision that they buy you. And now what they're looking for with the cortex activity at the back of the brain They're just looking to rationalize an emotional decision they've already made. So that's where they'll crunch the numbers. That's where they'll look at the data to go, I know how I feel. I just need to validate that decision. And and, and I I guess that that whole process and that 
that you look at is the same whether you're like you said whether you're talking to an investor whether it's an, a client or even whether it's someone you're interviewing for a, well back to values and of who you are as a person and as we mentioned before and as the uh, as what the company defines as well if all of those align and that's that sells whatever it is that you're trying to get people to buy mm-hmm. of you that they ultimately that 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 filters through every part of your business from everything you client um employee investor whatever that looks like that because that message is going to come across the same yeah one thing i just want to pick up on there you, you use the phrase sales pitch and i think that's one of the things that i really want to encourage people to try and divorce themselves from yeah, yeah. is because again it's a little bit like that thinking that it's not personal it's business if you think about the fact that every time you get a chance to meet someone, you're telling a story, you're not making a sales pitch, yeah. it automatically changes the tone, the style of delivery, even the way that you engage with them. Yeah. And I, th- you know, I, th- I think of all the people I've met over the years. I've, I've done presentation skills training courses for people, and the moment they know they're presenting or they're making a sales pitch, their nerves turn to jelly. Yeah. They just oh god! What if they don't like me? What if I say the wrong thing? What if I run out of time? What if I get what's on? What if I forget what's on my PowerPoint slide? All of those things that we all experience yeah. it. But these are the same people. If they're stood in a pub in front of a bunch of mates, twenty people, they can happily hold everyone's attention fully wrapped in telling a story, yeah. because they don't experience that fear. Because we're all. As human beings, we are all storytellers. We all do it. We just forget to connect that behavior, that dopamine hit we get from telling a story and engaging with someone. In a business context, all of that stuff goes out the window because we're suddenly thinking, I need to make a business presentation. And it's the same thing if you've ever (laughs) looked at um, the way people write. If you write an email to your friend or a text or whatever, you automatically fall into a comfortable conversational way of communicating but when you're writing on behalf of a business suddenly it's yourself myself (laughs) which none of us do we don't do that in general human interaction but our brains say in business context there's a way of communicating and i honestly do not believe that it's so interesting that is so because like like i say i guess and there's got to have been uh, ultimately I think, like, like as we sort of alluded to in the earlier question, it's got to have been a shift in, since maybe lockdown around that, that people's mindsets about that. I do believe you're right. I do believe that the the business and the personal side of things we it's so it can be so structured, can't it? Business is this, and that's mm-hmm. how you, you go about it. And you've got to be professional at all times, even down to what people wear. Like I've got I've got to wear my you know, I've got to wear a, a suit jacket if I'm going to somewhere, probably a, mm-hmm. a shirt. I haven't worn a tie for 20 years, but anyway, be that type of thing. You know, when whereas now you go, actually, I'm comfortable in this and I'll rock up and I'm going to wear my baseball cap and my trainers and pretend I'm 25 still. But it's that's working, I'm convinced. But it's that thing that, again, personal and, and, and business, and, even, and it, however we communicate that as well, that's mm. so, that's so, and I, I so important, I think. And one other question I've put on here about um, about what you see on sort of social media and stuff. And do you, do you feel even like the stories and how people are saying that that that's changed? What you see on LinkedIn, what you say. I mean, it's a, it's difficult, isn't it? Social media is a highlight reel mm. of life. 
and uh, what was well, it's, it's, uh, so it, uh, <laughs> I'm interested to see it, your it's, take it's, on it. It's a fascinating thought. I'm, I, I'm, I'm a deeply cynical person deep down, <laughs> even though I present as a very optimistic, sunny, upbeat <laughs> sort of person. Social media is a blessing and a curse to everybody. I used to do um, quite a lot of uh, talks and presentations about social media and how it could be leveraged to drive greater engagement at live events, um, conferences, exhibitions, and that sort of thing. And what I used to say at the time was something that I'd, I'd heard somewhere else. I can't take any credit for it, but I thought it was brilliant. And it said, Facebook is where I lie to my friends. Twitter is where I tell the truth to strangers. And I love that because <laughs> it was what I took from that is that Facebook, as predominantly visual, but not visual like Instagram, allowed you to present life with the edges cut off to people that you're connected with mostly through circumstances of birth and upbringing. The majority of the people that you're connected with, yeah. people that you went to school with or people that you grew up with, and you probably don't necessarily share a lot of the same worldview anymore because, you know, we all become more interesting, multifaceted characters the older we get. So mm. we tend to get further and further away from our point of origin. Twitter, on the other hand, is mostly people that you don't know in real life, but you've come to them, you've followed them because they share your worldview. They've got a similar point of view or perspective on, on how the world runs or how the, they wish the world would run. And I think when people dismiss it as an echo chamber, they're missing the point about the catharsis that people get from reminding themselves that there are people out in the world who feel the same way as them, even if you might be 8,000 miles apart. Yeah. or you might be 50 years apart in age it doesn't matter you've got some shared commonality and it connects you to the human spirit on a broader scale which I think is really positive positive. and then you've got Instagram which is the one that I feel is the most in a lot of ways it's the most damaging because I think it's all around the presentation of artifice. I think so much of Instagram, at least the people that are driving Instagram as a business platform, the influencers, the um, the people who present an illusion of a lifestyle, mm. I think that does a lot of harm to young kids, um, yeah. particularly around self-image, body image, and all of that stuff. So that's problematic. And then you've got LinkedIn, which, as a principle... Is great. I love the idea that you can stay connected. I think particularly for people who are self-employed, it's a way of of staying connected to businesses that they've worked at and colleagues that they've had um, where you might not necessarily consider them close friends, but you take an interest in their career. You want to see that their business is doing well. We all like to think that the businesses we've left struggle without us. We know that that's not really true. And so we do celebrate vicariously that they're doing well, that they're winning business and so on. And that's really positive. But I think in order to try and find its its purpose and its value, LinkedIn has become a spam platform. So there's a lot of stuff where people use LinkedIn to, I call them linked influencers or LinkedInsta, where it's actually people who've who've set themselves the goal to become a personality rather than to deliver solutions to people. 
And consequently, what you'll find is you'll get an invitation to a connection and people will say, you've come up in a lot of the same circles as me, so I'm connecting because I think it would be good to expand my network. And I'm like, well, I can't argue with it. That's the point of the platform. And then, bam, 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 over the next three days, you get three, four, even five sales messages that are predicated on absolutely zero understanding of what my business is, what my skill set is, even what sector I'm in. So someone somewhere is buying, they're buying into LinkedIn Pro, and what they're actually getting is a load of guff presented as, you know, pre-validated business leads. And I think that's really disingenuous. And, And I think it's bad for business because... What it's doing is it's driving my cynicism about the platform. Yeah. I'm not going to LinkedIn to get great stories. What I'm getting is churn. You know, we talked earlier, and I know we've had this conversation before. One of my bugbears is the word content, <laughs> because content, and this is my opinion only. I'm not budging <laughs> you with it. This is just what I say to people. The problem with content is it's a word that literally means stuff that fills an empty vessel. So the coffee in this cup was content. The water in your, I hope it's water, in your glass (laughs) is content. The foam inside this headphone is content. Content just means stuff in a void. And in the digital age, we've got this vast unfillable void called the internet. And everyone is trying to create cut through, standing on the edge of this enormous hole, tipping stuff into it. I've made some content. And actually, that's anathema. No human being craves content. What they crave are stories, jokes, anecdotes, personal connections. And we can do all of those things. They are content, but content isn't the driver. Content is just the noun for the stuff that we make. And unfortunately, particularly on LinkedIn, people have bought into this idea that they have to generate X amount of content to drive engagement. But it's not driving engagement It's just filling the world with more stuff. And I think I would much rather someone write something once every two months where they go, here is an insight that I have formed based on my observations and my experiences and my expertise. And I'm going to tell you what this is because it sums up how I see and understand the world rather than I've set myself a goal of creating something every day just to push more things out into the world. And that's, as I said, that's just my worldview. And I'm sure there are hundreds of thousands of people who would violently disagree with me. But but that's why I'm constantly f- feeling like I'm trying to fight the good fight on behalf of stories. Yeah. Because you can make content every day. I'm just saying, tell a story with it. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I'll, I'll get what you're saying. I think... But do, 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 do you think then using LinkedIn then as a, a, a thing you, you made the comparison between LinkedIn and, and Facebook and th- do you feel that LinkedIn was seen as a business platform I think I'm going to know your answer to this but <laughs> but uh, people post on there and, and say that you know this is not appropriate for LinkedIn when they go like this is a <laughs> this is a business platform don't mm. post you know that, if you've said, oh, no, you've gone out with your dog or whatever it is that you're you're talking about, but you're telling the story mm-hmm. ultimately, and and where is that personal? If you, the point I'm trying to make is, was there a crossover from from again back to the whole COVID in the last two mm. years on LinkedIn where you go, well, I've got to put personal stuff on because I'm 
I'm not in the office anymore. It's not just about a work thing now. We've got this. I, I, I think that's a, that's a good observation, and it's not one that I'd made myself. I, I hadn't connected the shift to any particular point in time, so mm. I hadn't, I hadn't um, made the connection that it could be COVID-related. But I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's important that I've got a caveat that's coming up that I'll share in a second. <laughs> But I think it's really important that people share things that are not work-related on LinkedIn, as long as what they're ultimately doing, and again, I'll just say storytelling, storytelling, storytelling. If the human story that they're telling is ultimately connected to what they're doing as a business or why they're doing it as a business mm. or the change that they want to see in the world in the context of the business that they run or that they work for yeah. then it's absolutely appropriate because in the same way that you know one of the things that we have it, it's interesting we're having this conversation in pride month because there are a lot of conversations every year this time of year where people talk about what's appropriate for businesses to do in terms of corporate sponsorship or endorsement of pride and the role of the pride conversation and the rainbow washing as every logo you know turns yeah, into yeah. rainbow for a month and then you know, they go back to supporting Republican senators who are looking to eradicate gay LGBTQIA plus rights in the US. It, it makes you feel a little bit cynical. But ultimately, there are a lot of people who try and police those conversations on LinkedIn and they go, I don't care about somebody's coming out story. I don't care that someone's transgender in the workplace. It's not appropriate for LinkedIn. I think it's absolutely appropriate for LinkedIn. Because what those businesses ultimately understand is creating a space where people can bring their entire authentic self to work, whether you've got two employees or 200,000 employees, is key to all of that conversation we had earlier about values and behaviours. Yeah, you have yeah. to be a space where people can be their whole selves at work. And I think the fact that we're seeing more stories about lifestyle and personal history and family connections and you know, the struggles of their children or even what they're doing for their own mental health journey mm. is all relevant to the broader conversation about what is work. Work is no longer, work used to be a synonym for a building with desks in it. It was a place that you went to. Yeah. What we're seeing a shift in that I think is really important is work is the thing that we do. Work is the thing that often defines our skills, our experience, our talent, our passion. Mm. And it's how we choose to spend our time on this planet is by the work that we do. So all of the facets of the human that we are, that we bring to the work that we do, is all up for discussion. It's all relevant. It's all interesting. The one thing that I hate, and I've seen a few people do this, is they'll share a story of um, uh, the, the thing that they seem to go for is pictures of particularly of children who've just overcome cancer treatment and they share it on LinkedIn and say you know that they're farming for likes but it's not their story it's not their child yeah. you know yeah. if, if someone's sharing that story because they've managed to keep a business afloat while dealing with all of that that's that stress and that upset that's an amazing story to tell because it's yeah. it, it's representative of you know um human endeavor and tenacity of the human spirit and all of that great stuff it's a hugely relevant thing but using somebody else's 
to farm for likes when you've got no connection to that person as well. I yeah. find that deeply offensive. Yeah. And I really, I really get angry when I see those because you'll see that they've had, you know, 300,000 likes or comments or, you know, X number of people love this. And you see all of these comments where people haven't considered the context of what they're seeing. They see a message, and of course, who wouldn't celebrate a positive human story? But I think it's deeply cynical for somebody to appropriate another person's struggle yeah. and use it to farm likes for their page on LinkedIn. That's the that's the that's caveat. A, yeah, I'm with you. Brilliant answer. Brilliant answer. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> I want to. I want to move. Uh, one thing I wanted to chuck at you. I wanted to tell me what what success looks like to you. Talk to me about success. Success is for me personally. Yeah. I think success for me personally is getting to meet businesses in spaces and places and sectors that I haven't experienced before. Um, and hearing people connect to their purpose. Finding that moment where they realize that the thing that it's almost like an invisible thread that's been pulling them their entire career. Mm. And once they realize what that thread is connected to, the moment of clarity that they experience is the most rewarding thing in the world. It's, you know, we worked with someone that you know, again, I'm, I'm not necessarily going to call them out by name, but we worked with someone and the moment where I read back the manifesto that I'd written for mm. them as a consequence of going through our storytelling process, I had to stop as I was reading because I made myself cry. And I, in all the years I worked in big businesses, I never had an emotional moment like that. I, you know, I was passionate about my work. I loved what I did. So that's I'm allowed to use yeah. the word passion in that context. <laughs> I really believed in what I was doing and I, I felt like I was doing a good job but I never moved myself. But this, because I'm working with people, the people, the business, the business, the people, they're the same thing. We've yeah, had this yeah, conversation. Yeah. Um, as I read back the words that he told me, but I'd shaped them into something powerful and crystallized, I realized how powerful this person's story was. And as I was telling it, it moved me to tears and I had to stop for a minute and just gather myself. And I was like, I'm kind of embarrassed because I'm, I'm not trying to big up what I've done. These are your words, not mine. I have to shape them. And that was like, ah, that's why this is such a great thing to do. So success for me is more of those moments, more of those moments where somebody has that light going on moment and they realize the thing that, it's almost like a voice in the back of their head that's been telling them that this is the path they're on. They've just never articulated the reason for it. That's success yeah. for me. Because we get a lot of, obviously, we're dealing in a lot of um, startup and entrepreneurial spaces. We're in, you know, investor hubs and all of that stuff. So we tend to fall into a lot of conversations where people ask us about scaling up. And we've yet to figure out what scaling up looks like because what we do is so intrinsically one-to-one -one personal yeah, yeah if i could clone myself and create you know 20 versions of me yeah. then fine that's the scale-up thing but i don't think that technology exists yet yeah. and i'm not willing to try it <laughs> and that's not and i i have to stress that's not an egotistical statement that i can do things that no one else can do 
I just know from personal experience that my Liam Neeson uh, specific set of skills combined with the things that drive me as a person, the things that I'm passionate about, the things that make the hairs on my arm stand up is a curious mix. And it's yeah. one that I've encountered very few times. There are lots of people that can do things that are approximate to what we do yeah. and have at it. You go for it. Yeah. But success for me can't be replicating what I do because that's what drives me and me alone. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. And I think the more companies that, you know, listen to this and listen to people who will shout about what you guys do and, and that it, and should obviously get in touch and do it because it, because it, it is like, like you said, that, that your enthusiasm, you, like the passion comes across, but you and Terry, the great dynamic between you mm. two is is incredible. When you and you speak to, but you get in that room and that enthusiasm into our project. This is our project, but mm. that enthusiasm into it, and then, like you said, you become part of it and draw out what that. And I can imagine, like you said, we spoke about it when the four of us were sitting there listening to the manifesto, and you got <laughs> Lee sitting there with saying. Never been moved like that. I've got hairs on the back of my next tether, which was it for us as a, as a team was even a thing like you go quite wow. That's like a magical moment, and what a, what a, what a great answer in that sense because there's so many. I, I spoke about on a previous podcast and you know define what success looks like to people, and so so much of it. And so many people, not that, it, you know, if people were being really honest, and I, I was from the start of my entrepreneurial journey, you go that success is that financial gain and where that looks like. And, and there's still a strong narrative out there that that is a successful business, is someone that turns over mm -hmm. X amount. And I, oh, I just don't, like, my mindset changed a lot around that a few years back when, um, I shared that story previously, but it's, like on, on a personal level, I was like, it's not what it's about. It's, not success. it's, it's a really important point. I think there's a difference between success and target. Yeah. Fine to have a financial target. Fine to have a, you know, a a get out level where you like I've accomplished what I've come to accomplish. Yeah. But I think success, and it, it goes back to everything that we've been talking about today, about why the story is not a marketing proposal. The story is not the copy that goes on the homepage of your website. The story is the thing that is driving you day in day out. Success has to be more than that, which isn't to invalidate the financial objectives because mm. that is why you are running a business. Yeah. But it's not your purpose. It's as Simon Sinek, funnily enough, let's go all the way back to Simon Sinek. He nips that in the bud in his TED talk. Mm. He says, your why is not making money. And I've done our process before with, um, with the leadership team for quite a big business, actually. And half the people in the room were the financial backers of the business. And when we went through the why and the purpose, all they could conceive of was delivering shareholder return. And I said, that's, watch the Simon Sinek video, he says, that's just a consequence of being in business. But that is not the purpose, because that is not something that anyone else will ever care about. I don't care if you get rich, not you personally, I mean, <laughs> saying that to the world, I don't care if you get rich, that's on you. If you've got a target, you've got a goal in mind, great, have yeah. at it, I wish you every success, but I don't care. It's not going to make me, I'm not going to buy your service because I want you to be rich. Yeah. I'm gonna buy your service because I believe in you, because I'm enthusiastic about what you're bringing to the world. I'm enjoying seeing 
your enthusiasm for me reflected in your eyes. I can see myself in your eyes thinking, yeah, they get me, they understand me. That's a different kind of a connection. And that is representative of a business that has a purpose beyond financial return. Brilliant. Brilliant. What does the future hold for Gareth and Inside Stories? Well, I mean, more of the same. As I said, we're, we're coming up on a, a third anniversary. And I think, you know, Terry and I went into this knowing that it would take a while to achieve cut through. And as I said, we made a very conscious decision not to spam people, not to create loads of marketing stuff. I sometimes write posts on LinkedIn. Um, and I always try and make sure that if someone's going to spend three, four minutes reading something that I've written, it had better be entertaining, it had better be interesting, and there better be a point of view that only I could have come up with. Um, so that's what we've spent the last few years doing. We've taken, you know, any generous opportunity to appear on a podcast or speak at an event or or deliver some um, some training through one of the various startup hubs that exist in and around the greater Sussex area, we've taken all of those opportunities because we recognize that rather than trying to sell to people, if we get up and talk about stories and talk about what we're passionate about and demonstrate our expertise without hitting people over the head with a CV, if they want to work with us, they'll approach us. Mm. And if they don't, that's fine too. I'm, I'm not interested in trying to convince someone that doesn't think they need what we, what we do. Mm. That's That's a lot of wasted effort to me. I'd much rather find the people who are enthusiastic about what we do, who recognize that that is a a, a gap in their knowledge or their skill set, and they just need some help with it. And I think we're finally at a tipping point now where, and I, I know you've had this conversation with mm. Terry, where you've said you feel like people are talking about us. You feel like our name is being mentioned yeah. a lot, which means we finally achieved that cut through where people know about us and more importantly okay. people whose opinion matters people who are trusted as um opinion leaders like you like lee like some of the other people that we've been lucky enough to work with this year their opinion counts for something this isn't the we've bought a testimonial from an influencer who doesn't care what product they're holding up and smiling for the camera <laughs> i like this whatever it is and that'll be 10 grand please this isn't that. This is people who've actually paid to work with us yeah. and have come out of it so enthusiastic that they want to tell the world about the experience that they've had. We're finally at that point now where I think people are recognizing that. So when people hear positive stories about the experience of working with us, they're inclined to believe them. Mm -hmm. So we're starting to find that we're getting a lot more um, incoming calls of people going, I've heard great things. I really need to work with you. I really need to spend some time understanding how you might be able to help us. So that's what's next for us is is much more incoming conversations and, you know, opportunities like this yeah. to sit and talk about stuff that we love talking about is, is always a, a positive. Awesome. And hopefully, like we, we've spoke, obviously more things to come hopefully from the two of us and, and, I hope and, so. and working together and, and we've been bouncing a few ideas around so watch this space everybody some exciting things to come um, right we're going to wrap up with a couple of quick fire questions so okay. first one one piece of advice would you give to your 18 year old self um, 
so, okay, does my answer have to be super quick? No, no, no. So, when I was 18 and I went off to university, I was convinced I was going to be a lawyer. And I did a history degree because I thought I wasn't ready to study law. I wanted to do an academic subject, so I studied history. And I made some great friends on that course. And right up until my third year, I was convinced I was going to go into law. And really weirdly, I had two conversations on the same day with two completely different friends, friends who'd never met each other, so they couldn't have conspired mm. like a pincer movement. But these two conversations on the same day, my final term of my third year, they both said, you don't talk about law ever. Like, you never mention it. I know that's what you're going to do, but there's no passion, there's no enthusiasm, there's no nothing. Have you ever thought about going into marketing? Because we feel that that's probably more your thing. If you hear it once, it's like, okay, that's your opinion, you're welcome to it, thank you. You hear it twice, you're like, mm, okay, maybe the universe is trying to tell me something. So my piece of advice would be to my 18-year-old self, start thinking about marketing now because law is not where you're destined to end up. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Right, last one. Last one. We, um, as as you know, I've mentioned this to you a few times. I've mm -hmm. stolen this from my uh, from Stephen Bartlett, and we get the previous guests to leave. So this is at series two. We had the previous guest has has left a, a question for you, and this is a quite an interesting one. Um, who would you like to forgive? Um, wow. Okay, that is, a, that is an interesting one, and I'm going to take a second just to think you, about you, that. You take your time on that one. Wow. I'm go so I'm going to I'm going to go broad rather than a specific person because, um, you know, occasionally we encounter people that we actually we're not ready to forgive. Right. So, I'm I'm comfortable with Top. that little burning pain <laughs> in the side. Uh, but I think what I would forgive is all of the people who, for whatever reason, have felt that the thing, not just that I do, but that anyone who does broadly what I do, is bullshit. Because I, I used the word bullshit at the start of my workshop because I once had a colleague who asked me um, to do my bullshitty bit at the start of um, at the start of a pitch that we were working on. And it was, it was a real eye-opener for me because I suddenly realized that there was a whole part of the business I was working in that thought the thing that I did was just this ephemeral sales fluff, that it didn't mean anything, that it had no fundamental value. It was just the stuff that filled out the pages around the budget and the time timeline for mm. the project. And I, I was really affronted at the time. I was like, I felt quite offended. And I was like, if you don't understand what I do, why am I even doing it here? Mm. So I'd like to forgive those people and hope that as the world continues to change, as storytelling becomes more um, understood by the broader world, I hope those people start to connect with the power of what a story can do to unlock everything that they do. It's not that story mm. is the sole preserve of people who work in marketing, it's something that everyone gets to embrace. So that's who I forgive. What an amazing way to finish. Okay, there we go. Mate, thank you. So listen, it, it's been, I can't tell you, an absolute pleasure, one, getting to know you, but like I said, fundamentally, 
doing the process with you guys was, and I used the word magical because it truly was that. So, and thank you again for coming on to this and talking more. I could talk to you for hours. Um, I have to condense <laughs> it into an actual <laughs> podcast, but this, your, your, your insights and your knowledge and your enthusiasm for it is phenomenal. And thank you for sharing that with the listeners and, and obviously coming in with me. And like I say, for, from a personal point of view, I can't wait to do more things with, with you guys moving forward. So Thanks I so wish much, you Sam. continued success. Thank what you a great way that. to finish Series 2. <laughs> Absolutely. Bring on Series 3. There we go.